1: Thank y'all for listening to Football is Family. Uh, today we have a special guest, Oz Davis from the uh, Truly the Goat podcast, part of the Sports History Network family of podcasters. Uh, we have a great group of talented men who are giving you the basics of the sports history that you love, and Oz Davis is one of them. We've had several on. Uh, this podcast in the past today Oz is going to talk about his love of the Los Angeles Rams, not so much St. Louis, but you know Cleveland as well, but the Los Angeles Rams, and we're going to talk a lot about the '70s and a lot about what's going on today. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, before we get into the podcast itself, I want to give you a couple of recommendations of, of books and and magazines. Now, magazines—if you don't know what they are—they're they're these floppy things made of paper. They're not on digital. They're not on the computer. Uh, I am an old-school type of guy when it comes to my material. I want to hold it in my hands. I like comic books and paperback in form like that, and I like magazines and books in paper. This in particular is Lindy Sports. It came out a couple of weeks ago with the pro, uh, Pro Football Preview for the 2021 edition. That is that now. It's something I tend to buy every year, especially when we get into fantasy football season, which is coming up pretty soon. So that is out. But I want to give you a couple of recommendations. I got uh, Rich Smelter's book, Chicago Assassin. This is not a book about sports, but it's a book about uh, machine gun Jack McGurn and his reign during the beer wars in Chicago in the roaring 20s. I encourage you to pick that up if you can. And John Eisenberg's book, uh, Cotton Bolt Days, I should say, Growing Up with Dallas and the Cowboys in the 1960s. Both books I would recommend. Uh, both great men who, who've written these, these books. So I encourage you to look at those books. They're available online. And if you're interested, go and look, at, look it up and, and check out these authors. Uh, again, I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Footballers Family Podcasts. Next week, as of right now, I am planning on doing something that is a little bit interesting in the sense that you never think of WWE, WWF, or WCW in football, but there's a lot of similarities, especially with the people who played football who later became wrestlers. Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Thank you. We'll see you then. And we'll work back to uh football is family podcast. And I've got a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the truly the goats podcast here at the sports history network. Uh, I'm pleased to be here.
1: Well, Oz, I'm glad that you're here. We had a, uh, we had a, a kind of a conflict of interest yesterday. He was supposed to be on yesterday, which is, is a Tuesday, Monday. Um, I actually got rid of all three of my kids for a few days, and my wife and I ran long actually getting to know each other because you don't get to see each other with kids. It just doesn't happen.
0: You know what? That's great. I love this excuse. I used to be, when I was living in Budapest in Hungary, uh, I was an English teacher, and very often I was teaching. I was going to these people's offices and teaching you know, three or four students at a time. And invariably, people would show up late and they'd go, uh, traffic. Sorry, I'm late, traffic, right? And I know it's Monday, it's Tuesday morning, it's eight o'clock. I know it's not traffic, I know. you. And I used to chastise everybody for this. It's like, give me a different excuse. Give me a different excuse. So finally, one of my students walks in and goes, sorry, I'm late, I was having sex with my wife. And I was like, all right. There
1: you go. That's see, this is how (laughs) football becomes family by adding to it like that. There you go. (laughs) Now, now the thing, the thing that the thing that you are going to talk about today are, are the Rams. Now we, we talked before that the Rams have a long history. We're going to talk about the history, but before we get into that, I've got some numbers that I want to run by you. Okay. And, uh, after that, I think you have something you're going to add, and then we're going to talk about why you like the Rams. So they were founded in 1936 in Cleveland, of all places. And if I remember correctly, they are the only team that, after winning a championship, moved.
0: In any sport, really. In any sport. Unless you want to talk about like the Philadelphia Stars and the USFL, because I think they did that. I think they won a championship and then moved to Baltimore. Uh, But that was fiscal necessity. Fiscal necessity. um, Yeah, this is one of the interesting things about them moving is that it's not a case of Stan Kroenke or uh, Carol Rosenblum. Who was a later owner of the Rams, where they live in Los Angeles. And so they want to bring the team here. Uh, the owner of the Cleveland Rams, and I have the name here somewhere. I it's really Dan Reeves. Off. That's right, Dan Reeves. I'm terrible at names, which is a real drawback for somebody doing this kind of thing. <laughs> um, uh, the, he specifically, get this now, he specifically wanted to move to Los Angeles to play in the Coliseum. That's what he wanted to do. And when he requested to move to Los Angeles, the leagues at first said no. And then he threatened to sue them. He threatened to dissolve the team, not move them to the AAFC, which was a competitor league, which he could have also
1: threatened to do. Uh, despite, you know, the Browns being there, uh, who were also awesome. In the yeah, year. I wouldn't want to play the Browns at that time.
0: Right, right, right. right. And so, you know, he threatened to do all these things because for him, he was kind of a businessman first, a franchise owner second. He was almost a reverse Al Davis. You know, he's a bizarro Al Davis, right? didn't care about football, didn't care. wanted that Roman thing, right? wanted to put his product before 90,000 100,000 people every week directly, which he almost did. Yeah, by the way, uh, by the end of, by the mid50s. In 1957, 1957, they set a record for uh, you know gate, basically that stood for 48 years. Stood until 2005, because the Coliseum, in theory, could put in 105,000. They often did that for USC games in those days. Can you imagine in the 50s putting 105,000 people in there? Good Even gracious. for Los Angeles, that's a sizable part of your population in one small area. And uh, and yeah, so they set a record that that stayed until 2005, and they went 6-6 six and six there. <laughs> it's like it's like, wow. I mean it just goes to show. I mean, what an awesome move that was.
1: Well kronky would love that right now. uh no, I, I'm hearing that the parking in in uh, Los Angeles is insanely expensive. <laughs> oh my God. but they 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 played in Cleveland, went to Los Angeles. Now when I grew up, uh, I remember the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, Jim or Chris Everett, as Jim Rome would say, um, I remember them and I remember when they moved to St. Louis and okay. then they came back, obviously, to LA. Okay. Now, now, according to the internet, the internet's never wrong. Okay. they played in, <laughs> I, I, I've seen that. It's never wrong. Okay. Four yeah, but. Super I've Bowls,
0: heard, but- but remember what Abraham Lincoln said. Not everything you read on the Internet is true.
1: I've heard. And I read also, that on the Internet. Yeah, I I've, I've also heard that he said drop beats, not bombs. Exactly. I, I, I'm just saying uh, they played in four Super Bowls. They're one in three. And the one Super Bowl they played in, I actually have a hat over there. Uh, Lids.com had a $5 hat thing, and it was the Titans St. Louis Rams Super Bowl. And I don't want to talk about that one. We're going to move on. According to pro football reference, all right, ready? They played 85 seasons. Mm -hmm. They've had a pretty good record for 85 seasons, 587 wins, 575 losses, and 21 ties. Now, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I mean. Well,
0: well, yeah. This is a, okay, this is a team
1: who's,
0: okay, first, you can say that like teams like the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions, this is a team whose golden age was really in the fifties. Right. Um, I mean, we can talk about the seventies in a moment, which was also really awesome uh, for them as well. But the fifties was the big deal. I mean, I think it's between 49 and 55. They're playing for the championship four times. So it's four times in seven years. So this is akin to like the Pittsburgh Steelers later on let's say, did it four times in six years. So it's on that level, our Patriots. So that's kind of on that level. Um, And they win one. And I was in 57, I believe. This shows how well I versed on the 50s football. Now, I remember the Rams from the 70s. The 70s was another peak uh, era for them. They won the NFC West back when it was five teams they won it and there's three divisions in each conference. They won it 7 years in a row. Uh the last one of those culminated in Super Bowl 14. Right. And that was when uh you know that they lost to they were leading those Pittsburgh Steelers that I just mentioned in fact uh in the fourth quarter but could not pull it out.
1: Yeah. Um, it was uh, also it Aaron was Hayes is loving that. By the way, he is absolutely
0: loving that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he popped into my head for some reason. Just uh, the uh, the oh, um, uh, oh, yes the the thing about the Rams at that time, and and even as a kid, we knew this was the fearsome force. Right. right now, this was right. the second go around of the fearsome force. I'm not old enough to recall the first one. Uh, which is Rosie Greer, Deacon Jones, uh, Merlin Olson, guys like that. However, I did know them through TV, right? This was, see, the significance of the Rams moving to Los Angeles in 47 is very multifold, right? It's very multidimensional, okay? One of the things it says is, okay, this is the growth of America right? Like Los Angeles, this is their first pro team. Los Angeles is finally becoming, guess what, a major league city, you know, like like cities like Las Vegas and Charlotte are experiencing recently, right? They're becoming a major league city, right? That's a big deal, okay? But also, soon after that, Hollywood, Burbank, right? These guys realize that, and again, they're making pretty much working man's wages still as a professional football player. They realize that, hey, I can do Little House on the Prairie. Yes. (laughs) I can do Bud Light commercials, right? I can be playing a Native American son of John Wayne in a movie like Roman Gabriel did, right? I mean, that was a draw. And this helped. The Rams through the seventies, eighties, nineties. Players like um, who was it? Rosie Greer came here so that maybe I could go on TV. It's Los Angeles. I want to be a star, right? Because again, football players aren't making millions a year like now. They're not making the equivalent either. Before anybody <laughs> thinks that, they're not making like awesome wages like they're now. Have, you know, do a couple episodes of Hollywood Squares. And bam, you might double your salary uh, that you made playing football. So this was a draw for their teams. And in the 70s, they were able to assemble guys who wanted to play in Los Angeles, like Jack Youngplug. Uh, let's see. I have the list here somewhere. I'm uh, drawing up a list of their awesome second fearsome foursomes. Uh this is okay. This is great radio here. Oh, oh yes. Excellent. We had we had Jack Youngblood, Fred Dreyer, Larry Brooks. And Marlon oh Olson yeah, Steve we had
1: Ryder. uh oh good gracious, Fred Dreyer. You know, his my yeah. mind just blinked out on the, the show he was in, but it was awesome Hunter. TV show. Hunter, yes, Hunter. yes, yes. Absolutely. And guess why he did that?
0: Because it was in Los Angeles. Fred Dreyer is also the, the answer to a very important trivia question. Again, this will show you how dominant the Rams' defensive line is. He is the only guy to get two sacks in a game, and he did it in one quarter. <laughs> Again, yeah, just an indication of how often the Rams' defense was in those days. Uh, they couldn't hold the Steelers to under 31 in the Super Bowl. Um, and you know, of course it helped. Uh, one of the things that also helped is we had a couple of great coaches in those days, you know, George Allen. Yes. Was, was mainly the coach in the seventies. Uh, Ray Malavasi, most people don't remember. He's actually the one that took over for Allen and, and, you know, got them to the super bowl, uh, got them to a couple more, uh, conference championships after that. So, uh, they had some great coaching, in the '60s and '70s as well, uh, and and again that draw uh, just coming to Los Angeles also now, helped.
1: They they, uh, they brought over John Robinson, and he is according to Pro Football Reference, they're winning his coach. And now, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. he was a USC coach. Now, was yes. he USC coach before or after this? I believe it was before. I, I, I was thinking of. I want to say that this it was before.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, because John McKay, who became the Buccaneers' coach, their first head coach, he came over from USC, right? Yes, he, he did. He was the one who was the head coach when OJ Simpson and guys like that were there. And that, that's when USC was still a good football team. Just living in Southern California, I hear a lot about how bad they are nowadays, <laughs> and they are pretty bad. <laughs> um, so so yeah he and, and that was the thing about uh, the Rams in those days too is that I don't know if this was uh, purposely or not but a lot they would draw on the UCLA's and the USC's quite a bit I mean Pat Hayden yes was the quarterback in those uh, on those seventies teams and a lot a lot a lot of people felt that he overstayed his welcome if. He had been playing nowadays. There's no way he would have been in contention on and off starting quarterback for eight years with the same team. No way. That just wouldn't happen nowadays. But again, it just kind of goes to show USC boy makes good, right? He was at best kind of, uh, and maybe above average quarterback, you know, maybe an Andy Dalton level, but because the defense was so good um, when Allen was there I think he was there for like seven or eight seasons every year they won ten or more games and the year they didn't they won nine games <laughs> yeah so uh pretty good coaching there and I was in fourteen game seasons as well I should point out and they had a lot of twelve and twos a lot of ten and fours in those days
1: now so, uh glory days one of yeah one of the uh the names that I love and is Vince Ferragamo. mm-hmm Yeah, quarterback. I believe he was a quarterback in the Super Bowl in 79. Yep. Uh, Yep. Probably, probably if you want to have a a superhero name, that's Ferragamo. (laughs) Now, I am looking looking at probably one of the best defensive ends. If not the best, then he is top five, definitely. Deacon Jones. Now, before Deacon Jones came around, they didn't keep up with Sacks. And if I remember correctly, this man coined the name Sack.
0: Wow, that could be. Yeah, I believe it. I you believe know, it. I don't think that the league officially has it down to him. Uh, but
1: sure, why not? Because hey, <laughs> that's hey, what he did. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that? with the guy named Dick and, Deacon Jones, you know.
0: Right. That and, you know, <clears throat> his thing was the head slap.
1: Yeah, he. it wouldn't you work know?
0: today. Yeah, right, right, right. That was a legal maneuver. And, uh, you know, I did an episode of Truly the Goats on Angelo Mosca, who is, you know, basically the Deacon Jones of the CFL, uh, but pretty much at the same time as well. Uh, And that was his thing, too. And that was a legal move, you know, and he got it from Deacon Jones. He's like, I want to crush guys like that. And so literally the coaches are teaching him how to do it. (laughs) That was a perfectly legal move. But the thing was, is to put the fear of God in in the opposition, no pun intended, from a guy named Deacon. But, you know, that'll do it. (laughs) I'm not sure he needed to do it. I mean, if you take a guy and you make him as proportionally big uh, today as he was in those days, he'd be a badass without having to resort to that. (laughs) You know, Uh, Because, you know, again, I'm not old enough to have seen him play. But I've
1: seen a lot of highlight films with him, Uh, a lot of those 70s Rams games. Now, he wasn't the fastest, but he had a get-off-the-line quickness that was almost like a cat.
0: Well, that was the thing about the fearsome force, right? I mean, it's just like you had four guys coming at you that were so quick off the line. I mean, any one of them could break through. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and if they if they didn't break through, uh, you'd get stuffed at the line. Now, one of the statistics, of course, they did keep in those days was opposition Russian guards. And if you look at it in those in those years, the Rams are number one every year. I mean, they're stuffing that run. And in those days, of course, you know, those are the days of 60, 66% run. You know, if you're winning if you're losing, <laughs> you're still running the ball two times out of three, right? Which we would never do nowadays. So and and the Rams were the best at stopping that. So you know, I mean that was that was the thing about those guys. I mean, they would just you just look at the tape, it's amazing. And and the thing is, like George Allen, when George Allen came in, he shed those guys, except for Merlin. You know, to be honest, most of them were, were past their prime, but kept the philosophy. You know, uh, this is why guys like Youngblood were so effective. I mean, that's what he was doing. He was just, just <laughs> crushing through the line like as soon as the, the ball was snapped. It was almost like he was psychic coming off that line. It was something to see.
1: Something now Jack see. Youngblood is one of those guys that when you look at him uh you don't really see how just a of, of a man he was now if i remember correctly he had his leg broken and still played in <laughs> the super bowl oh,
0: jesus yeah 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 now i remember that i remember that it's it's one of those things it's not quite the thaisman thing because it wasn't Ooh. you know so nicely framed <laughs> okay in the yeah, camera. yeah yeah but but, you know, you could, you could, you know, you could feel that. And, you know, I'm a kid watching that. So, you know, I was like maybe 14 when I was watching that. So it's nice and firm in my brain forever. Well, <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, and then, and then, I mean, you know, they don't do, well, I don't know to say that they wouldn't do that nowadays because there's a lot of times when guys reveal how messed up they are, you know after the game is over uh, maybe they don't want to give anything away but you get the again this is the 70s and early 80s and i always come back to this and if you look at the 70s in any sport pick your sport it's just so amazingly violent and hard and um permissive as well i'm sure that this dude for the super bowl was really jacked up okay they gave him some great painkillers he thought he was superman i'm sure of it <laughs> you know i'm not sure how he felt after that super
1: bowl I, but, but I, I remember he played when a tim, damn good game too he did he, a good game. he did i remember when tim Crumbry um against the san francisco 49ers had his leg just go crazy yeah, uh, it was just nasty looking, and <laughs> and that is my my equivalent to that. Of course, I'm looking yeah. across my uh at my office here. I have a you can't see it, Oz, but there's a, a a cutout of Mark Mariani. He used to play wide receiver for for my Titans. Great, I like the guy. Great guy from Montana. Uh, he broke his leg. In a very similar way to Jack Youngblood. And they kept showing the replay. And my wife said, look at this. And I'm like, I'm over here turning green. She said, look at this. I'm like, no, no. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, now, that's
0: that's something they don't do anymore either. Is they don't like replay the the vicious uh, incident over and over and over again.
1: And, and, and when they say that turn your head if you're squeamish. Of course, no one's going to turn their head. No. One. <laughs> and then they're gonna say, Why don't I look? It's like a it's like a freight train wreck. You're gonna look.
0: No. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just having this conversation the other day about, you know, talking about Formula One versus uh um, oh, you NASCAR. Know, and and they're going, How can you stand that Formula One? I'm like, dude, the tracks are different and you know the scenery is awesome and the drivers are fantastic. And dude's like, Yeah, but they never crash. I just <laughs> Come on. Are you serious? Now he was a hockey player, but still, I mean, that's the reason why people watch these car crashes. And and people do get off on the vicious stuff. But you know, I was I was watching, like, for example, I was watching the Euro Cup the other day, or this was actually a couple of weeks ago now, when the guy on Denmark just, you know, had a heart attack and pitched there on the field. They didn't show they didn't even show that again. You know, the guy just basically like collapsed. There's nothing to it. It wasn't like he got hit or anything. I mean, soccer. It wasn't like he got hit or anything. It's not like he even hit his head. You know, he just kind of like fell down. Well, but, no, we're not going to show it again. So, well, it's like.
1: You, you were talking about how bad it was in the 70s. Uh, I uh-huh. didn't know this, but Rudy Tomjanovich, playing for the Rockets, I believe, got his face rearranged with a sucker punch. Oh, yeah. And, and I looked oh, yeah. at that on YouTube, and I'm like, oh, my goodness.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there's that famous one of, of, of Larry Bird getting clotheslined against Detroit. And, you know, then there's that one where, <laughs> like, what is it? Barkley and Malone are holding him down and Julius is punching him. Julius, because he just had talked so much trash at him the whole game.
1: But he knew you know, exactly like, what he was doing. That's, well, of course. but And, you
0: know, that's the early 80s, but still coming out of the 70s. But again, like, Seriously, fans, like no matter what your sport is, just look at the 70s, man. It's hardcore. I mean, cricket is violent in the 70s, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, seriously. I mean, okay, tennis, maybe not so much. That's not a contest.
1: Well, but, talk to Monica you know. Sellis back in the day. <laughs> well, there you go. But now, uh, everything else, man. Before All we right. go any further, I want you to see see if you can pull up the uh, our sponsor for today.
0: Oh, I've got that. Yeah, sure. Thank Let's you. talk. Let's talk about what I half-jokingly often refer to as quite possibly the greatest website of all time. I'm talking about newspapers.com. Now, if you're listening to this podcast or any of the Sports History Network podcast, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that in order to do real research, in order just to find out about those old times, to do a typical search engine is useless. It's really hard to find anything prior to, let's say, 1990 that doesn't bring you to Wikipedia, a two-minute YouTube, or I mean, what else can you get? W- what else would you get in this situation, Jeremy? If I if I look up something like uh, 1974 New York Giants,
1: what you am will, I going to get? You would get click clickbait, and you would get <laughs> clickbait. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And
0: uh, okay, so in other words, nothing you haven't heard before. But if you want to get a real flavor for that time, you want to get a real flavor for the era of your choice. Anytime from literally the late 18th century to the present day, newspapers.com, 640 million pages worth of newsprint that you can draw from, from, I believe it's 10 different countries Six of which are English speaking. You've got the U.S., you've got Canada, you've got England, you've got Ireland, you've got Scotland, you've got Australia in there. Uh, lots of lots of great stuff. Hey, if if you're into cricket, like I just name dropped, lots of great stuff to find there. What do you want to find? You can find the real time stuff right there. Uh, just the other day. Just the other day, I did a little investigation. Don't need to be a wet blanket here. Jeremy, I take it you've seen the movie Hoosiers. Everybody's seen this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this is inspired by true events. I actually did some research on the actual school that this is based on, on newspapers.com recently. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it's actually a school called Wingate, and the seven-man team from a very small school— Uh, Actually happened in, I believe it was, I want to say 1913, maybe. So different flavor of sports reportage. And this is basketball back in its early days. I believe they won the championship that year. 38 to 6 was the final score (laughs) in, in basketball. Right. This is the Indiana State High School title, ladies and gentlemen. But the point here is. Only at newspapers.com are you really going to read this stuff. Are you really going to feel that time? Uh, And as I always like to point out, get a free one-week subscription to newspapers.com and help support Sports History Network podcast financially. I can't emphasize enough by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Thanks very much for giving it a try. You will not be disappointed. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers.
1: Speaking of not being disappointed, 33 men have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, who have either played on or retired with the Los Angeles, Cleveland, St. Louis, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. Probably the best yep. one is Bob Waterfield, not because of just how he played, but because of who he married. <laughs> I I'll just, well, I'll just be honest. I mean, I'm, you know, I just be honest. Jane Mansfield, Jane Mansfield, back in the day. Yeah, she wasn't she the number one pinup girl in World War II. That I wouldn't doubt it. Like she had the number one picture, I believe. Of, I, the, I wouldn't doubt it. See, yeah. Um, uh, it, it reminds and, and, me of Bob Hope calling Marilyn uh, Marilyn Monroe out in front of the soldiers, I believe, in Korea, or or maybe even in Vietnam. Said, "Look at what you're fighting for here." And I said, "Yep,
0: <laughs> that's right, that's right." Um, and speaking of legs and the loss uh, and the Rams, uh, yeah, we have a long history of Hall of Famers, along with Waterfield on, like I mentioned before, the early Golden Age teams, really. Uh, was crazy legs. Hirsch. Yes. <laughs> what, not only one of the early great receivers, but also one of the all-time great nicknames. Of football.
1: Well, uh, and, and I, uh, did some research on that and they said he was crazy because of how he ran. He yep. ran with abandon. He did not run yep. in a straight line. So the name crazy legs. Now yep. here's the problem I have with the, with the, with the Rams. Uh, they seem to get rid of running backs at least two times, a little bit too early.
0: Well, gee, we picked up Marshall Fock at exactly the right time though. Huh? You, did. you <laughs> did. That was the one score. And, and the thing about Todd
1: Gurley is, well, I not actually, even Gurley. Right. Sorry, Eric, man? Eric Dickerson. Jerome oh, Bettis. well,
0: well, yeah, the the best thing was weird, but those, of course, were the lean years. When um, I find a lot of times in the NFL, when a team has a, a string of lean years, like the Rams had twelve years in the twenty first century, and it's like a nine year run back in the nineties, um, where just nothing, <laughs> just no playoffs, not even a hope. Of getting to 500. I find that when that happens, that a lot of bad stuff is happening in the front office as well. Oh, yeah. Like, if you, if you look at the Lions, who bottomed out famously at 0-16 back in the 2000s, uh, Matt Millen, of course, was their GM. And and this is historically one of the worst GMs ever. I mean, drafting wide receivers in the first round three straight years with a top-ten pick, for example. Stuff like that will gut your franchise. <laughs> You know, and I think that's kind of the thing that was happening at with the Rams at that time. It's just that, you know, there, there's a level of apathy here. Uh, you know, Georgia Frontier, who, who's who's now owner of the team, just doesn't want to pay anybody because secret, not so secretly, she wants to move the team back to her hometown. You know, and it's just like nobody, you know. It it it's like a situation where one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing, except this is like a handless team. <laughs> 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 so so there's just like nobody's really paying attention. Uh you get I mean, there's a string of coaches, Spagnuolo, probably the best example, that just never coach again. Uh that's always a bad sign. Uh again this was uh, representative of those Detroit lions teams that were so right, bad. Right, uh, yeah. Same kind of thing happened there. Um, other teams like this, um, this, this tends to happen. So I chalk up that one to that uh, Dickerson. <laughs> and this actually came back to haunt him later on, always kind of had a checkered, uh, you know, relationship with the front office uh not really sure why uh, not not i mean he's one of the best players the Los Angeles Rams ever had uh until nowadays when we only have in my opinion the best player of the league um but definitely the best defensive player in the um and so you know I, I i i think a lot of it was politics basically and it's interesting too because <laughs> in our, in the ram's other low point which was when uh your boy jeff fisher came and ran the franchise into the ground so that we could move the team um you know he 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 was no judge of talent whatsoever uh and you know dickerson in those days uh used to hang out on the sidelines. You know, was just kind of like a local press guy, just kind of like, you know, kind of like a goodwill guy, you know, like, like, like a Magic Johnson would do for the Lakers or Tommy Lasorda always used to do for the Dodgers. Right? right. And so he was there on the sideline, you know, just kind of hanging out, whatever. And then, you know, he teed off in the media a couple of times, like everybody else did on Fisher at the end, including Todd Gurley, who I'll talk about in a moment, you know. And, and so Fisher actually had him banned from the sidelines. Right. And it's like, I don't know what Fisher was thinking that he was going to win in a popularity contest in Los Angeles, you know, where a lot of people my age still remember the Los Angeles Rams, you know, and Dickerson, you know, I just, I just don't understand what, so, but in any case, so, so that's what I blame the Dickerson thing on. And, and the Gurley is the real shame. Todd Gurley is the real shame because again, here's Fisher running this team into the ground. While this guy's having his best years. You know, it's it's like, you know, it's kind of like Deshaun Watson in Houston. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's like why you're running this team into the ground and 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 this guy, his best years are now because this guy, he's a he's a halfback, he's not gonna last forever. Uh Gurley is a guy who going into college, he wanted to play basketball. Like that was his first love. And basically his coach begged him to play football because <laughs> he was so good, and geez, he was good. <laughs> but Fisher was just wasting him. Fisher, if you, I don't know if you were following the Rams in those days when, when you know Fisher was running them into the ground and you know, St. Louis was a graveyard, uh, but opposition would routinely put nine, ten in the box because they knew we weren't going to throw it. We knew we were just going to go to Gurley. Our line was young. So he's probably going to have to run it up the, the middle, which he doesn't like to do. And so that's when Gurley finally came out and said, I'm tired of running this grade school offense. <laughs> uh so there you go. That's our, yeah. that's our checkered history with running backs in a nutshell, from my perspective.
1: Well, Jeff Fisher left Tennessee in a bad situation, but we – and I'm sitting here with a autographed Jeff Fisher football right here behind me. I've got to meet him before. I'm still waiting for that picture from the Titans because I got to meet him and they took a picture and never gave it to me. And that's been a few years ago. <laughs> um, Jeff Fisher had uh, people love him here. Oh, sure. So we followed him when he was in uh, St. Louis and we were surprised, I guess. That he got fired, but knowing looking back, it was about a year too late. Now, Jeff Fisher, if you want an eight and eight team, that's the guy. Yeah,
0: that was the thing. That was the thing. That's now, what he, we
1: kept saying after a he while. He kept like, he kept the Oilers together during the move. Jeff Fisher. Yep. And I'm I'm looking across, I have a a picture of a uh, somebody drew something called a championship dream where a young a child with his dogs laying on a bed and a picture above him is Jeff Fisher going like, you know, with his, with his hand on his chin, Jeff Fisher is the kind of guy that could keep a team together. And when I heard that there was a possibility St. Louis could move, I thought they got the right guy to do that because he's been through it. Well, yeah, I was talking about a trivia question before about Fred Dreyer, Fred Hunter Dreyer.
0: Uh, <laughs> Um you know, Fisher's another one. I mean, he's got to be the only head coach to have moved two franchises in the modern era.
1: He's got to be. I would say. Who else is there?
0: <laughs> well, I, yeah. I'm thinking so, about
1: other teams that have moved as many times as yeah. the Rams. It would be the 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 Raiders. No one. And no well, one. because
0: the Rams have actually moved four times. You forget they moved to Anaheim. Ah, yes, and you're right. They, they played at Anaheim. That's right. Right. Now, they call themselves Los Angeles, kind of like the how the Angels sometimes do this, right? But let me tell you, I live in Orange County now. I've lived out here for about five or six years, okay? Anaheim is not Los Angeles, okay? <laughs> They're not. I mean, I don't understand why a team like the Angels just didn't bite the bullet a long time ago
1: and call themselves the South California Angels. I, see, because, I remember them with the Cal- when, when they were the California Angels. I love that. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, but see, but see, that's pretentious. That's ignoring the A's, the Giants, the Padres. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, see. I just, I'm just, uh, you know, I like tradition. And to me, when they went to Anaheim Angels, I'm like, you know what? Well, I remember, one. they started as the Los Angeles Angels.
0: Why do you think they're called the Angels? Right?
1: The City I of mean, Angels. And, it makes and, a lot of and,
0: sense. And that was another thing I wanted to point out about the Rams, too. When they made this move in '47, I mean, to me, this is in a lot of ways uh, one of the more significant moves in NFL history, uh, along with the merger and the AAFC buyout. Right is um, because not not only do you get this expansion out west, and the NFL likes to say they were the first coast to coast league and whatnot, right? But um, also as part of the lease agreement for the Coliseum, they had to agree to integrate. Right? And so the Rams are the first um the first NFL team to sign a black player. Uh now why? I'm not sure why it is that um hang on just a while later. Uh, blank uh i'm not sure why it is that kenny washington is not a household name but there you go and well there's the first african-american player sign
1: when you think to, about uh, it baseball being america's sport jackie robinson is going to be known football right, yeah. football really came about after 58 right right now right. If I remember this correctly, too, and I think I I found this information in the NFL Century book by Joe Horgan, which is an exceptional book. Um, The Rams would be the first NFL team to paint a logo on their helmet. Yes. Now, they, of course, I think Michigan would be the first team to do that. I want to say Michigan is the first college team, but the pros – And they had – and I forgot who did it. The name was in my head just a little bit ago. He stenciled it in a helmet and had a couple different designs. And the helmet that you see now is very similar to the original helmet.
0: Yeah, I don't like the splash of green very much. But um, it's it's the best logo in football. It is. It's the best logo in football because – when the line gets into that set position, they look like ramps. It is awesome. Uh, I would also put the Vikings very high up there. But as we understand now, the
1: Vikings never
0: wore helmets like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, so now, no, so it's I not would, as valid. I would, valid, but I would hold awesome. – I would take your statement about the Vikings and tweak it. Go back okay. to the Fran Tarkington era. That purple.
0: Oh, well, the color. I mean, look, purple is my favorite color.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, go back to the old school purple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, sure. yep. while we're at it, go back to the old school Kelly Green for the Eagles. None of this new stuff. Go back to the Kelly Green.
0: Yeah. And um, I Randall think Cunningham. That in in hoops, I think the Celtics should go back to just green and white. Uh, I don't like the gold. So much. Uh same, you know, but again, same thing with the Rams, getting back to it. The splash of green adds nothing. The point of that logo, and I mean, look, outside of context, the logo looks like crap. It's it's not one of the best logos by a long shot, right? Just on its own. Right. But in the context of the helmet, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I don't understand why more teams don't do that. But then again, don't take my word for it because one of my other favorite helmets is the Cincinnati Bengals. And almost everybody <laughs> hates that.
1: <laughs> i i was watching something today i think it was from tps.com uh was talking about the worst logos in the nfl and the Bengals were number three worst and of course the titans were yeah. six worst and at that point i exited out because really? wow. yeah I, because here's the thing i appreciate that um uh, you have, we are, Nashville is the Athens of the South. You have the T for the Titans and you have the three stars for the three geographic areas of Tennessee, East, uh, middle and West. And then the plane well, so, means that we're on fire with their, I love,
0: I love blue and blue. I don't like blue, dark blue. That's a great color combination. I don't know why more sports teams don't use
1: it. I told I, my I wife that thing. I told my wife, I'm getting my car painted. Two tone blue. She looked at me. Nice. And I was going crazy. And I said, I'm not stuttering. It's, it's what's going to happen. So I might be sleeping on the couch tonight, Oz, but, you know, hey, it it is. I'm, I'm going to take it for the nice. team. John Robinson, if you're listening, I need a place to stay. Nice. <laughs> I don't – there are very few uh, – I think
0: most logos in the
1: NFL. I mean, maybe I'm easy,
0: but I think most of them are really great. Uh, I really like the Steelers. You know, I like how they tweet the the scientific, yes. you know, uh, representation of steel. That's awesome. Uh, I like that. I, I think that there are some bad ones. Of course, the all-time worst was the old Washington logo, which we don't really need to talk about. But, for example, the Patriots logo, I'm sorry. I, I know they went on the Super Bowls with that, but it still sucks.
1: Go back <laughs> to Patriot Pat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He that, looks like he's definitely. about to play football right before he goes to Lexington and Concord. Sure, yeah, yeah, it's great. And
0: plus, you know, Boston really—I mean, it's a cliche—but especially if you go to downtown Boston, is all about the history. It really, they really take a lot of pride in the history and everything. So it should be—I mean, I mean, like like some Boston journalists called it at the time, Elvis on acid. You know, that's what that is. It's Elvis, like, flying through an acid trip. Yeah, That's what the logo
1: is. Go back. And and Seattle, um, please go back to the Steve Largent Seattle Seahawks. Please go back to that.
0: Really? Is it that different for you?
1: It is is that different. If I ever play on Madden, if I ever play the Seahawks, I go back and play with those, the King (laughs) on Madden. Oh, I I cannot handle (laughs) I get the new one. I get it. I do. But, uh. well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, do you ever
0: play the Titans with Oilers unis?
1: Yes, I do. Ah, In fact, see, when math. I play the season, uh, you know, franchise, they let you pick, and I will pick the uh, Powder Blue. Oh, that's another thing. Since we're on the subject of
0: uniforms, that's another thing I should say about the Rams. Okay. I think, since we're talking about what teams should do as far as the uniforms go, I think we should be wearing those blue and yellows all the time. Oh, One yeah. of the things that really cheesed me off about uh, St. Louis Rams is blue and gold. No way! Look, I got two daughters. Okay, two teenage daughters. They could give about sports of any sort, right? But. You know, I'm sitting here watching the Rams. Do every Sunday. I watch the Rams when football season's on, got the big screen and everything. Okay. And so one of my daughters is passing through the room one day. They're playing in the blue and yellows. She stops and looks at it and goes, Wow, those are great uniforms. <laughs> like, you know, somebody who knows, I mean, those are dope uniforms. And of course, those come from the 70s, which high point of the franchise.
1: Oh, absolutely. let's get back to uh, NFL if you're looking for uh, fashion advice, come to us. <laughs> I've got Man. a 13 year old I got an eight year- old daughter as well they they know fashion they basically say daddy you 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 cannot leave the house until we approve you. Wow, yeah. really yeah, yeah, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah you've got a
0: tyranny going on there.
1: I I told my son like if you're if there's four or five guys in a room and there's one girl you're still outnumbered just deal with it you you have no chance, <laughs> uh, but I, was, I appreciate your time. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, SoFi Stadium looks amazing. They are the team in there. The Chargers, you guys should have stayed in San Diego. That's <laughs> Los Angeles is not your city. Oh, you don't know
0: the half. You don't know the half of it, dude. You would be shocked. I mean, okay. This is the other thing. This is the other important point about the Rams at all. Okay. They were the first team in Los Angeles on that highest level of pro sports, and let's say the big four. Right. Okay. But now, today, we have six teams in four professional sports. One of them is natural to Los Angeles, okay? That is the Los Angeles Kings. Those are our only true team, okay? Unless you want to count the Chargers, who started, played one season in Los Angeles, moved away, came back.
1: I don't count that.
0: Yeah, that's like, you know, know, that's like remarrying the wife you divorced, right? So I don't think that counts. Okay, so, but that's the argument right, is that LA itself is a town of transplants. And the thing is, like, people were saying when for 25 years or 22 years, I think it was, Los Angeles did not have an NFL team. They're saying, oh, it's a crummy football town. Oh, it's a crummy NFL town. It isn't. It's just that people come here and they bring their teams, (laughs) right? That's the way it is. The main fan base of Uh, The Los Angeles Rams now is guys my age, Generation X, right? That because we remember the Rams, right? We remember the Los Angeles Rams. Everybody else already has another team. Sorry. And the Chargers, I would guess they're maybe the 12th, maybe 13th most popular team. Honestly, honestly, I can easily find you more Patriots fans in Los Angeles than Chargers fans easily and of course the Raiders you know who cares if they're in Las Vegas they got a lot of fans in Los Angeles still, so, lot a lot <laughs> you know this is the 21st century baby home team doesn't matter doesn't matter Chargers you might as well just move to Portland Maine you know for all it's worth doesn't matter nobody cares about you man
1: you heard it here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Oz, for your time tonight. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure, Jeremy. It's been and this weekend. has been Football is Family.
0: Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already... We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month